WBSM presents Spooky South Ghost with your hosts Tim Weisberg and Matt Costa. Good evening and welcome to Spooky South Coast. Tim Weisberg here, along with the silent assassin, Matt Costa. Science advisor Matt Moniz is here, technically, this week. He will be here in the studio with us. He's just next door getting yeah. something to eat. We could say he's out in the field. <laughs> he's out in the field hunting something down. Uh, but it's not a, a cryptid creature or a ghost or an alien encounter. It's a munchy mania from... It's some potato skins. Can we can we say the name of the restaurant? Are they are they? Um, well, does they have two nines in it? It does have double nines. I would have gone to the slider bar down the street. That's where I would have gone. Lobster <laughs> sliders and everything. All right. Anyway, I know I know the guy who made it. So <laughs> everybody everybody's gonna think this is a a dining program tonight. But uh, this is the Spooky South Coast Paranormal Extravaganza. Each and every Saturday night, we're here to talk with you about the paranormal, the strange, the unusual. And uh, here comes Moni's now. Wow, that was quick. They were quick over there at the Double Nines. And uh, we <laughs> we are going to talk to you tonight about Haunted Baseball. Uh, a little bit later on, we're going to play an interview recorded earlier today with Dan Gordon, co-author of Haunted Baseball, along with Mickey Bradley. And, uh, of course, we always like to bring one of these guys on or both of these guys on following a Red Sox-Yankees game because Dan is a lifelong Red Sox fan and Mickey is a lifelong Yankees fan named after Mickey Mantle. So... We're going to talk with Dan tonight because uh, Mickey's got a prior engagement, but Dan's a, a good friend of the program. We've had him on many times, and he'll also be appearing at Paranormal Night coming up this Friday night at the Brockton Rocks. We're going to tell you more about that a little bit later on. We're also going to give away tickets. We have four family four-packs of tickets to give away uh, coming up to Paranormal Night on Friday night at the Brockton Rocks game at Campanelli Stadium in the City of Champions. And uh, so we'll give those away. We were going to have a pitching competition. That was our idea, but we couldn't get our hands on the radar gun in time. So uh, instead, what we're going to do is uh, we'll just throw the phone lines open. We'll take calls. And since it's, uh, I don't know, since it's four family, four packs of tickets, we'll go with the fourth caller when we tell you to call in. And uh, you'll just have to give us your name and some vital information. And what we'll do is we'll put you on the list, and you will get the chance to uh, partake in Paranormal Night. It's uh, coming up Friday at 7.05 at the Brockton Rocks. And all I'm going to say for now, we'll tell you a little bit more about it later, but all I'm going to say for now is you you may get a psychic baseball and the chance to investigate Campanelli Stadium with Brian Harnwell and the Bay State Paranormal Center. So that's, to me... That's, that's worth the phone call. Yeah, that's yeah. <laughs> that's worth the uh, 25 cents you'll spend at the payphone. It's still 25... Do they still have payphones? I saw one the other day. That's the, paranormal. Yeah. All right. Well, we will talk with Dan in a little bit. But before we do that, uh, I do want to mention something that came across the forum at SpookySouthCoast.com. This is from our, a regular listener, uh, an Eagles angel, or better known as Luann. 
And she had this report. She said she was with her son last weekend in Osset Village fishing and swimming, and it was a gorgeous day. She looked up and saw some shiny round objects moving to the sort of north-northwest. Uh, north, at first she thought they might be mylar balloons, but realized that at the height they were at, they, couldn't, they wouldn't be visible to her. At first there were two, then another joined, and then a fourth. They kept moving around in the same spot near a cloud, then one went faster and disappeared toward the north. She kept thinking to herself that they had to be mylar balloons, but thinking that they couldn't possibly be. Her son was also watching, and he said that they weren't balloons. He pointed and said, look, that one had come back to join the others, so they were four again. She knew that if they were balloons, one couldn't come back and join the others. It would be controlled by the wind direction. It would not be able to move independently of the wind or the other balloons. She just stared up until they disappeared, which was a feat in itself just to up and disappear like that. She was wondering what the heck she saw over Onset Village last Sunday afternoon and wondering if anybody else saw them. So if you did see them, please give us a call, 508-996-0500, 508-291-0500, or email us, spookycrew at spookysouthcoast.com. You can also go to our website and click on the forum and join in the discussion there. But Matt Moniz, being a Wareham resident and a ufologist, I ask you, do you have any idea what this might have been? Not off the top of my head. I I find it very interesting because Luann's a very credible person. I've worked with her a number of times, and I trust her judgment. So uh, it's definitely something that we need to look in a little bit more uh, into and see if we can find out more maybe. How, how would you go about this as, as a UFO investigator? Well, first thing I'd like to do is sit down with Luann, talk to her. Next thing I would uh, do is do the, your local due diligence of contacting weather uh, places and uh, various local airports to see what the traffic was at that particular time and place. And then the next thing I would do is I would start going around canvassing the area where she saw this, looking for security videos. Lots of places now have outside security cameras mm -hmm. now monitoring things, seeing if maybe potentially one of these cameras may have picked it up, you know, monitoring the parking lots or what have you. And we're talking Sunday afternoon in the summertime in Onset. So you know that, you know, there was plenty of stuff going on, plenty of buzz happening. Uh, the only thing that I can think of off the top of my head, and I, I'm sure it's not related in any way. I mean, aside from the fact that, you know, Otis Air Force Base flight patterns, but how much activity is happening out of Otis these days? Very little. I mean, it's, you know, downgraded now to not so much by the National Guard base and, well, the the uh, Coast Guard is still heavily active there because, you know, the very busy coastal area mm -hmm. that we have, they're, they're always in operation. But for the base itself, no, the Army Base Edwards is closed down there. Is Otis itself is no longer an active base. It's more air reserve. The only thing that I can think of that would be out of the norm for that area, at least in terms of recent activity, is, of course, they were filming a movie in Wareham a Hollywood production. I don't know right. if there would have been something involved that maybe they cut the strings on something or, or I, I mean, I'm just saying, you know, it, it's the only thing out of the ordinary that I can think of uh, that would have been going on. Well, Matt Costa, do you have any is idea? Is that the uh, same week weekend that the um, Cape Verdean Festival was? Yes, it was, last weekend. Not that, um, I, I don't know what they would have in the air that day, though. Yeah, I mean, the festival uh, was pretty much just Saturday. Right. But, yeah, you never know. There could, there could have been. Well, we'll look into it a little bit more. I'm sure Matt Moniz will follow up. And uh, if anybody has experienced that as well, like I said, 508-996-0500, 508-291-0500. And uh, also, speaking of ufology and UFO reports and 
I have not seen the program yet, so I can't really talk about what was there. But Matt Moniz, I know that you were there both for the filming and you watched the show and you know all the parties involved. And I'm talking, of course, about the episode of Primetime on ABC News that happened this week uh, about UFO abductions and sp- uh, particularly Starborn Support, who are friends of this program and pretty much longtime friends of yours personally. Correct. And you got involved with them uh, as – I'm talking about the twins now that were featured on the program, right. Audrey and Debbie. Did you get involved with them? Were you friends with them before they started having these abduction cases or – uh, was that how you came about meeting them? Well, I actually met them uh, through doing work as a sound man. Their brother uh, played in a band that is where I used to work, as you know where that was. Mm-hmm. And uh, they came in in support of their brother's band. And Audrey and I immediately just hit it off because she's a very gregarious person, <laughs> you know. And uh, and we got on to the topic of, you know, things paranormal, and she started talking about all of the experiences she had as a kid and her, her twin sister, as well as other people in her family. And I started talking with her, and I realized after a few moments that, you know, this girl's an abductee with some of the stuff that she's coming out with. I asked if she's ever read any material, and she, she really hadn't. She wasn't all that familiar with it other than the basic pop culture stuff. But uh, she... Uh, Definitely impressed me with some of the stories that she uh, she was talking about that and, happened to her. And, and we've uh, spoken to her here on the program and, and, of course, privately as well. And their story is very compelling. It's very much a repeat abduction. Yeah. Uh, they are seemingly in constant contact with these beings, uh, or we should say these beings are constantly in contact with them. Uh, and I guess that the prime time, from what you were telling me earlier, the the primetime special kind of took their own, kind of went into this with a, a preconceived notion of what they wanted to report and didn't kind of let the story speak for itself. True. I mean, they came in deliberately saying they're going to be doing an open and honest piece and they're not going to try and slant things one way or another. That's how they approached it. That's essentially how they lured people into coming in to be filmed for the show. Uh, then they came in, started filming, and... Uh, I got into a conversation with uh, the, the main interviewer, mm-hmm. and uh, turned out, you know, uh, her first words out of me uh, out to me were, "Well, I'm a skeptic." You know, okay. Well, I'm a scientist. I look at things objectively. I thought reporters were supposed to be objective as well. So you've already made up your mind, mm-hmm. is what you're saying. And uh, I basically called her out on that. It was like, so you know, the definitions of skeptics, right? A skeptic is somebody who makes up their mind and then makes up the data to fit it. So is that what this piece is going to be about? And I confronted her with that. Oh, no, 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 no. We're going to keep this open and honest. Turns out it, well, and during they the course did have of, an agenda. During the course of filming, though, they, they, they filmed it with that perspective of that it was going to be open and honest. They allowed you to speak about uh, – I mean, you, you told me that the theory they were running with is that these abduction cases are nothing more than sleep paralysis phenomena. No, that's what they – made it out to be but afterwards. That, that, that no, seemed they, to be what they, they, were, they that, were trying to shape the story into. That's what they were trying to shape the story into, but that is not that is nothing what they told any of the people. They, all they were doing is saying that they were just collecting abductee stories to be presented openly. They didn't say any about, anything about any other types of uh, agenda to it, and that's exactly what they had was an agenda to push that, you know, you know retarded theory. 
And you you said that you spoke with him at length about daytime abductions. Yeah, well, sixty five percent of abductions happen during the day. Kind of, you know, defeats the whole purpose of their agenda that they were trying to push. So, I mean, is this just another example of where? Because the paranormal is becoming a pop, and we can talk about this later on in the show. We have somebody here in the studio with us that might join us in that discussion. But okay. and we talked a little bit about it last week as well. We we discussed myself and Matt Costa. Has the paranormal become normal? And because people are interested in the subject matter, and it's a popular thing to put on television. I wouldn't say right it's now, become normal. I say, I would say it's become tolerated. Well, when primetime is decides to do a story on it, you know, do they still feel that that pressure to have an explanation for it, to not just discuss the phenomena and what goes on, but to be able to try to debunk it at the same time. Do you think that that's what this issue was, that they felt like they had to be able to to explain what was happening? Well, they're in a win-win situation either way they do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They win by letting the story come out because it creates interest. And they win by, you know, slamming the people too because that also creates, you know, the the, the out or the cop-out for the people that want to not have to worry about it. Okay, that's just this. And wh- what's the reaction from Audrey and Debbie? Uh, they felt highly, and I repeat, highly betrayed, as did Terrell and several of the other people involved in the show. So I think what we'll do is uh, I'm going to try and get my hands on a copy of it, and we'll uh, we'll watch it. I'll watch it uh, in great depth and detail, and we'll see if maybe we can revisit it a little bit later on. I'm sure at this point that the people involved with primetime, if we contact them and, and try to get them to come on the program and discuss the way that the program was presented, the way it was edited, I'm sure they're going to say, well, you know, that aired, we're done with that story, it's over, but uh, we're still going to try. Good luck. Well, <laughs> that's what we do here, though. They've already been approached and asked by others, and they're, they're, you're right, they're just going to move on. They, well, it's done, it's printed, it's out, it's gone. Yeah, well. So. Well, we'll revisit that topic much later on. But uh, for right now, we're going to discuss Haunted Baseball with Dan Gordon uh, right after the break. We'll talk about some baseball ghost stories. We'll find out what's going on with Dan and Mickey and all the different things that they've been researching after Haunted Baseball has swept the nation. And uh, when we come back, we'll hear that interview right here on Spooky South Coast. Back to Spooky South Coast. Tim Weisberg here, along with the silent assassin Matt Costa and science advisor Matt Moniz. And before we play that interview we recorded earlier today with Dan Gordon, I just want to remind everybody, uh, first of all, we'll be giving away tickets uh, to the Brockton Rocks Paranormal Night with the Brockton Rocks. And uh, that will be this Friday uh, at 7 o'clock. You'll get your chance to watch the baseball game and experience an investigation and some paranormal happenings. Uh, they are celebrating all things supernatural. You can meet former star of Sci-Fi's Ghost Hunters and Ghost Hunters International, Brian Harnois. Receive a free copy of Taps Para Magazine on your way into the park. 
Learn about ghosts that haunt America's pastime from Dan Gordon, who uh, will play that interview in just a moment. Find out what your future holds from tarot card readers. Enjoy Friday Night Fireworks and much, much more. The first 1,000 fans through the gates to see the Rocks face the Worcester Tornadoes will receive a psychic baseball to help them predict the game. And after the game, the Bay State Paranormal Center will lead a post-game paranormal investigation of Campanelli Stadium with guest investigator Brian Harnois. To participate in the investigation, visit www.rocksgroups.com. That's R-O-X, rocksgroups.com. And enter the password GHOST to purchase your ticket package. And to purchase tickets only, visit brockedandrocks.com, R-O-X, brockedandrocks.com, or call 508-559-7000. And, of course, we will have four, count them, four, family four packs of tickets to give away later on in the program. And uh, another programming note here as well, next Saturday night, we will not be here in the Spooky Studio, but we're going to be participating in a live investigation while we're on the air. Myself and Matt Moniz will be at this We'll call it a social club in uh, Fall You know, when I don't say the name of the club, by the way, and I refer to it as a social club or these different names, people think we're going to a strip club, but we're not. It is a <laughs> it's a very historic building. It's a it's a long established club in the city of Fall River. It's just an outstanding location to to hang out and just be a member of. And uh, not only is it such a wonderful place, but it's also haunted. So. We're going to investigate that place all of next Saturday night. We're going to take a little breakout uh, after the Red Sox game to sit down and actually do the program from there. We'll have the Silent Assassin back here in the studio to run things. But myself and Matt Moniz will be there. We'll talk to Eric Lavoie of the Dartmouth Anomalies Research Team about the findings that they've had at this location. We'll also talk to the club owners and maybe some of the staff and find out some of the experiences that they've had there. And, of course, we'll give you information about how you can join the club and, uh, you know, just kick back and join. Matt Moniz is already a member. My membership is uh, processing and and uh, we, we hope to see you there somewhere down the line. But that'll be next Saturday night, immediately following the Red Sox game. So it's going to be kind of a, a busy busy time for us, Matt. First we got to investigate Campanelli Stadium on Friday night, and then we're going out for an investigation Saturday night. I almost feel like yourself, like a real investigator. It's time consuming, isn't it? Yeah, it is. and It's not a lot of sleep involved. A lot of mileage and not enough Z's. Welcome to my world. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, why don't we play the interview with Dan Gordon that we recorded earlier tonight, and uh, we will talk haunted baseball with him. And stay tuned because coming up in the next hour, we will be giving away family four packs of tickets to see Paranormal Night at the Brockton Rocks. All right, Dan. Uh, it's great to have you back on the program. You know, I think this is your fourth visit with us. Uh, and uh, your third talking haunted baseball, and I, I was on your website looking at your media page, and you guys have just been making the rounds since the book came out in 2007. Uh, you guys have been on every paranormal show and mainstream, mainstream uh, broadcast, and I, I have to say it's definitely taken the world by storm. Yeah, actually, yeah, this is a first, uh, my first interview in uh, a few weeks, and I was just thinking back to all my bouts with laryngitis and <laughs> you know, things when I had like two or three interviews per day. But I mean, I, I think your your interview was our very first interview, um, and it was when we were still putting haunted baseball together. Um, we, we we like yeah, to do that. We like to to put you on the spot before you even get the book out. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and yeah, it was great. Yeah, and Mickey was on too, and that was kind of a, that was that was a lot of fun. We didn't know what to expect because we'd never really, you know, talked, you know, about the book uh, other than to ourselves. 
Uh, well, uh, a, a lot of the stories, though, speak for themselves uh, when, when they've become – a lot of these legends and stories have, have kind of escaped the clubhouse, so to speak, and had become part of, you know, the cultural aspects of these teams and something that, you know, the media might have talked about around these teams or, or a lot of the fans would have known. And now that you're putting it out there for, for the whole world to listen and, and, and read these stories, I think they're starting to see that sports – and especially baseball are very tied into the supernatural. Yeah, I think that you know players are becoming more and more comfortable speaking openly about it, and you know, and it's definitely true. I mean, it's always been true that players have been you know really superstitious, and you know, I mean, obviously, you know, the various rituals and no more Garcia power, you know, et cetera. But uh, yeah, just uh, you know, talking about the ghosts have always been kind of a clubhouse. You know, insider thing, and you know, with the exception of maybe Yankee Stadium, where you know people have always alluded to the ghost there. But um, you know, now you know we're learning more and more about the various hotels on the circuit, and um, yeah, we discuss, you know, Mickey and I discover more and more. Um, we we just uh, finished a, a manuscript for haunted base, more haunted baseball actually, and got a few more stadiums, and yeah. It's, quite wild to, to ca- capture all that and and were you able to get more players to open up i mean i know you talked to something like over 300 players and managers for the first book is, is that right over 300 yeah actually uh, over over 800 wow um yeah <laughs> yeah we we talked to a lot lots more and and um you know um we got uh uh angel stadium is one of the new i mean things that, i mean there's always been talk about like a curse at uh you know anaheim stadium and you know, the stadium's gone under many names. It's probably one of the reasons why it's cursed. <laughs> but um, you know, but there was always the rumor that it was built over a Native American burial grounds, and that was something that like people in, in Los Angeles were well aware of. But not, I don't think it was really well known. In, in you know, out, you know, outside, you know, for, for baseball fans in general. And but that's something players have talked a lot about. But you know, yeah, there were several other stadiums and um, some spring training sites and. Um, um, the old Tiger Stadium, and yeah, you know, it was kind of really fun to, to capture more. And, and we went international this time too. We, um, I, I got a lot of, uh, we got a lot on on Asia and especially on Japan. I interviewed a ton of Japanese players, and that was that was a real treat. Well, I mean, their culture just is a little bit more open to the idea of ghosts than maybe Western culture is, and it's a big part of their belief system. So, I can only imagine they it's something they take with them to the clubhouse every day. Yeah, yeah, it really is. I mean, it's almost like, you know, I mean, they're very matter of fact about it. You know, the, you know, the, the whether whether it's setting out salt on the dugouts to ward off evil spirits or various things. I mean, Daisuke, if you ask him why he wears the, you know, most players wear this fight, you know, this, these new titanium chains, kind of like for health effects. But like you ask uh, Daisuke why he wears it, he, he says to ward off the evil spirits. And like Okajima, when he takes the mound with the socks, and he's um, he always like steps to the back of the mound and he prays to his, you know, his, his late ancestors. And you know that's very common in Japan, just the belief that the ancestors' spirits are still around you. And um, you know they even have a, a national holiday called Obon. So yeah, there's just like a general belief that spirits are in the stadium and that they affect things. And you know, of course, they have their share of, of wild hotel ghost stories and, and dormitory stories too. So just like in the states. And I know one of them, I mean, you mentioned uh, Angel Stadium. 
as being one of the new locations. And I, I've heard that they have angels in the outfield there. But uh, one of the favorite stories for for everybody, even Red Sox fans, is a lot of the ghost stories that came out of the old Yankee Stadium. And, of course, that's uh, now been, you know, cast aside with this brand-new ballpark that they have. And I know that Mickey, being a, a New Yorker and a, and a Yankee fan, is probably tuned into this pretty well. What are you guys hearing out of the new ballpark? Uh, we haven't heard any new ghost stories yet, um, but we have, you know, it's more been like rumblings, like from players, and you know, I mean, not, not players, but like from fans about the Yankees being cursed. Of course, right now it's not looking that way. But I mean, of course, a curse is usually the you know defined by what happens, and you know, at the end of the season, you know, end of the postseason. Mm-hmm. But you know, there's a belief that you know, and you know, some of it comes from you know, and I know you, you interviewed me right when, when it was happening last time was the whole. Buried Jersey controversy, where you know a Red Sox fan buried construction worker buried a jersey in the Yankee Stadium. But you know there was a belief that you know it was just a lot of insult. And we interviewed uh, Babe Ruth's uh, granddaughter, um, who was very active in, in like promoting you know Babe Ruth, even trying to get his number retired. And she's one of like two you know Babe Ruth has one uh, surviving daughter, um, an adopted daughter, Julia Ruth Stevens, and you know Babe. Dorothy uh, Ruth Perone is uh, Babe Ruth's kind of biological granddaughter, and you know she had a, a a lot of you know ghost stories, but also thinks the Yankees are cursed. And um, but you know just the idea that uh, when the old uh, monuments were were uprooted, you know there was a lot of uh, you know it, it was very strange to a lot of fans that Babe Ruth's monument was kind of didn't come up very easily, while the all the other ones came up. It took several hours to take it out of the ground. And, uh, you know, some fans attributed something to that. And, you know, I mean, again, that's kind of just whether that's, you know, just fans trying to, you know. Yeah, they're just perpetrating the the story. Either that or it's just as fat as he was. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Well, uh, the the good thing, though, about Yankee fans, and I can't believe that I just used that phrase, but the good thing about Yankee fans though, is they do appreciate that history and they do appreciate, you know, the respect that's paid to those greats. And so it has kind of come on, uh, come on with a reverence, uh, especially in recent years with, with the talk of the new ballpark and moving everything over. And when you look at how the Yankees of old, how they were, and then you look at the teams of today, of the, you know, the Steinbrenner, Cashman, conglomerate here that that's basically buying up the best players available bringing in mark Teixeira, bringing in uh you know these these newer players and it just seems like and of course a rod um it it seems like they're almost getting some karmic retribution uh with some of the stories and scandals that have gone on in new york more so than than ghost stories it could be just simply karma paying them back yeah yeah i mean and that's that's kind of some of what you know, curse things are, you know, I mean, they, you know, there's, it's hard, you know, a lot of these, you know, curse theories are always just kind of a way of framing history, And but there are, you know, bizarre incidents, but there are bizarre things that happen with every team, but, you know, definitely, you know, in, in the last few years, you know, the Yankees kind of have had, you know, a string of, of, of you know, mis- you know, a little bit of their own misery kind of, mm-hmm. you know, as you say, you know, karma re- retribution, and, you know, it's kind of, you know, odd to see the the Red Sox, you know, suddenly as the team that's, you know, won two two World Series in in three years, and um, 
yeah, it's just, just it's it is strange. <laughs> and speaking of the Red Sox, I mean, I'm sure that's the team that you have the the most interaction with, being a, a local guy. But uh, is there anybody on the team right now who is particularly superstitious or or uh, a particular believer in the idea of ghosts and, and the paranormal? Yeah, there are several guys. Um, but, you know, um, some more than others. Um, uh, um, Tim, um, Tim Wakefield is not so much a believer, but kind of just re- very respectful of the history. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, of uh, uh, Jacoby Ellsbury is, you know, whether he wears this long sleeve, one of his sleeves, he wears a long sleeve, and that, you know, that's kind of a good luck thing to, you know, what he believes when he's wearing it, that will, you know, he'll do that, kind of like the Jason Giambi thong kind of thing. Um, <laughs> that's paranormal. <laughs> yeah, definitely. But yeah. uh, well, with Ellsbury, I mean, how much of his Native American ancestry is, is part of his current beliefs? I mean, we hear about how he's how he's Native American, but is that something that's actually, you know, that he observes? You know, I, I haven't didn't really get that much in, uh, into it with him about that. Um, you know, it's, you know, usually you only have a few minutes with the players, mm-hmm. and, and but it didn't seem to me that he was overly that that you know overly spiritual or, you know, a huge believer in in, in the ghost. Um, some guys, you know, it's just hard with, with just a few minutes interview to, to get get into that, but um, sometimes guys will say that they're not superstitious at all, then you start talking to them and, you know, they talk about their, their pink underwear and all. <laughs> or even eating the same meal before every game. I mean, that's really, that's partially superstition as well. Right, exactly, yeah. yeah. I mean, it just, yeah, I know when we talked before, you know, Kurt Schilling was the, the guy who, surprisingly he didn't have much to say on the subject because he talks about everything else. <laughs> but it surprised me that he didn't have much to say. But looking at the current team, I mean, I would think guys like, like Euclid and, and Varitek, yeah. I would think these are the kind of guys that would shy away from some of these questions. J.D. Drew, yeah. you know, they yeah, yeah. seem like I, the... mean, I, I think that a lot of the Sox players now kind of, you know, they're, they're very focused um, more so than some, you know, guys in the past. And you, you don't have a lot of colorful players on the Sox. I mean, I, I mean... Or, or players that seem like that seem like very open, you know, mm-hmm. spiritually. I, a lot of guys are just like, you know, Pedroia, you know, uh, um, Applebond. Um, we are, we do have a, a chapter that, and I'm not sure if it's going to be in the book or not. We're still it's up in the air, but um, it's on the, the the Tessie, the song Tessie, and I'm mm-hmm. sure you heard all about how that song was resurrected a uh, um, hundred years after. Um, in, well, actually, it was originally ran, ran from 1903 to 1918, and was thought to bring a lot of good luck. And since then, you know, we've interviewed, the, you know, players from the Drop, Dropkick Murphys, and um, interviewed a lot of the, the Red Sox players about that, and, and the belief where, that that song kind of brought the team good luck and helped them in their postseason efforts, um, kind of by resurrecting the old royal root of fan base too. I mean, to me, I, I know that the, I guess the exact lyrics weren't known, and uh, the Dropkicks kind of made a, a a version about the song more than bringing back the song itself, but, it, I mean, obviously, whenever you can pay homage to, to what's come before you, you know, it, it can't help but bring a little bit of good luck, uh, but, yeah, yeah. I mean, that being said, uh, just not a fan, <laughs> not a fan of any of their stuff, really. Which, yeah, I guess we're not going to have them on the show anytime soon. <laughs> yeah, they're, they're huge fans, though. I mean, Ken Casey actually, his uh, he's uh, the basis for the band, uh, and he actually was really in- behind the whole, uh, you know, resurrection of the song. Uh, the song was actually they um, 
Dr. Charles Steinberg actually found, um, you know, the old lyrics in Jeff Horrigan, a former Boston Herald writer. He kind of decided, he pitched it to them, but the song was originally about a, you know, about a, a old woman who sings to a bird, and like, you know, it's kind of really, <laughs> had no relationship to baseball whatsoever, and like, Horrigan actually re- rewrote the lyrics, but um, it, the song, you know, but the, uh, Casey was actually, uh, you know, his, his grandfather was a security guard, so he, he used to go down on the field all the time, and he had, he knew a lot of the players way back in the 70s, and he actually, you know, claims that he started the Dropkick Murphys because he wanted to get, you know, see if he could get better, you know, tickets, you know, for the game. You know, actually have to get an inside relationship with the Red Sox. So, and, I, of course, there is a little bit of a paranormal connection with that song, too. Uh, and I don't, I don't know if you touch upon it at all in the book, but you do know who um, who is related to Jeff Horgan, the writer who penned the right, lyrics. Right, right, exactly. Yeah, John Horgan, who is the organizer of the Mass Monster Mash and a, a very uh, big name in the paranormal field here in Massachusetts. And so uh, when I look at that, you know, I say, okay, you know, if we've got even that little tiny bit of connection to the paranormal, <laughs> you know, it's enough for me to believe, okay, maybe it did bring some luck. So... And when the new book is, when's the new book coming out? Is there uh, any publishing date yet? Uh, We're looking at spring 2010. Okay, so kind of just in time for the season that year? Yeah, yeah, exactly, yeah. And with the new book and and with, you know, the success of the first book, uh, I've got to start to think that, you know, this is something that players are going to acknowledge a little bit more and more, even if it's kind of in their own offhanded kind of way. I think we're going to start to hear more about the, the ghosts or the curses or, or you know, the, the different, you know, luck symbols of different teams. And I'll, I'll be honest, though, the, the one that I want to have go away is I just want that rally monkey to die. <laughs> I'm tired of the rally monkey. <laughs> well, that hasn't worked for a while. Yeah, well, <laughs> neither has the angels but or, or, or some of these guys they've gone after. But it, it does seem like, you know, we, we did talk a little bit about karma, and it seems like some of these – People who tempt fate are getting paid back in baseball lately. You know, I, I mentioned A-Rod, and, of course, Manny Ramirez is another one who, you know, has kind of been somebody who has crapped on the legacy of people before him, you know, in the way that he plays and in the style that he takes to the game. And, of course, Pedro Martinez, who said he would, you know, wake up the Bambino and drill him in the ass, and, you know, he's he's kind of fallen uh, prematurely off, off the radar. So, I mean... It, it does seem like baseball, at least the baseball gods, kind of play back, uh, pay back those who, who uh, don't exactly pay homage to them. Exactly, and that's actually a popular theory among players. And, and you know, they don't always practice it, but you know, it is a belief that you know, if you kind of if you don't stay humble, that the baseball gods will zap you. And, and you know, play. You know, we interviewed some, you know, so many players, and actually in, in haunted baseball, we had a whole chapter on you know players just talking about that whole idea. Um, you know, and you know, even A Rod, you know, and, and which it seems to have zapped him many times, um, <laughs> you know, um, but he still hasn't totally uh, found humility. But <laughs> well, and of course, it seems like every season there's there's some other little uh, sign that he's nothing but a dirty cheater, whether it's <laughs> slapping the ball away or yelling "ha" at players or you know <laughs> putting a needle in his ass. Either way, I mean, it's just it's not the right way to do things. And, exactly. Uh, you know, and it's very bad to drink Joe Boo's wine, if uh, Pedro <laughs> Serrano taught us anything. Uh, 
It's about. <laughs> All right. Well, so tell us about Paranormal Night coming up here. What have, What have you got planned uh, for your portion of Paranormal Night at the Brockton Rocks this Friday? Yeah, I'll just be uh, I'm signing books. Actually, you know, they'll set me up on the concourse, and and I'll be signing haunted baseball, and I'm happy to talk with whomever about you know, and you know, swap stories. And are, are you going to hang yeah. around and participate in the investigation afterward? Yeah, I'd love to. Yeah, and actually, I, I the, the Rocks actually helped me out a little bit during the writing of Haunted Baseball, and I, I none of the stories actually made the first book, but they're kind of in reserve. And I, I interviewed Oil Can Boyd, who kind of gave us some neat little stories, and um, we heard uh, Ed Noddle, long, you know, longtime manager, who had some stories about you know Birmingham and some uh, kind of a mysterious home run there. And even a story from uh, Shad Williams, who's a former pitching coach with the Rocks, and he he had seen a uh, ghost in uh, Portland, Maine, at a um, Eastlander Hotel. Um, and you know, it's one of the another one of those hotels on the circuit that you know some players are, are fearful of. You want to you want to so. talk paranormal? I have an Ed Noddle record album. <laughs> he actually made an album where he sings. Did he really? Yeah, and yeah, I have a signed copy. My wife might have sold it on eBay, but I did have a signed copy. I paid a buck for it at a yard sale. But uh, <laughs> of course, oil can board Boyd. You know, he uh, he had that whole incident with the uh, the movies that he didn't return. And I I think one of them was The Exorcist. No, no, that's the Triple Exorcist. Okay, <laughs> I'm running out of all my lame baseball jokes here. But uh, have you heard anything about Campanelli Stadium in particular? I mean, obviously. You know, traveling around, these guys have experienced things at some of these older parks. But ha- has there been any reports out of Campanelli specifically? Nothing that I heard, and I always like make a point whenever uh, you know I visit a ballpark, major league or minor, you know, to always like have side conversations with with anyone, especially like the clubbies and the stadium guards, people working the overnight, and and you know, usually you know you catch wind of some of that stuff. And I hadn't heard anything there, but that doesn't mean you know that you know it's you know, there hasn't been, you know, something. And, you know, it is, uh, you know, Brockton has just an amazing sports history. I mean, more more boxing than baseball, but it has a, a you know, a long you know, history and a lot of passion. And, mm-hmm. you know, wouldn't it surprise me if there's, there's uh, you know, some fans or some athletes hanging around there. Well, uh, of course, Elizabeth Russell of Bay State Paranormal Center, uh, I guess she used to work for the Rocks, and, and she mentioned that she's heard some things, you know, kind of behind the scenes. So it'll, it'll be interesting to see sure. if, you know, once the game is over and all the investigators take the field, if maybe that's when some of these employees decide to come out and say, well, I don't really believe in this stuff, but one time, you know, I, I happened to see, you know, the, the ghost of Rocky Marciano walking down the uh, walking down the hallway. And uh, yeah. <laughs> I, I saw the, uh, you know, the, the ghost of Marvin Hagler. No, wait, he's still alive. That was Marvin Hagler, you saw. But, and no, like you said, though, it does have a rich sports history, and there is a lot of, I, I, I guess we could say, character to Brockton uh, before it became this industrial area. And there is, a, you know, a lot of the tie into the Bridgewater Triangle, too. It's, it's, I right. guess it's not that far outside of the Bridgewater Triangle if you want to say that there are defined borders. But if you're of the Chris Balzano vein and you think that the triangle is ever expanding, then, of course, Brockton is kind of right in the heart of that. So there's, uh-huh. there's certainly lots of possibilities for activity. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah. I, it'd be really cool to see. I mean, I'm I'm looking forward to. Uh, yeah, definitely. You know, stay, stay after and you know, seeing 
seeing what, what material I, what you guys can find. And, of course, they're giving away psychic baseballs, so maybe whatever those are, maybe we can use those somehow to help uh, find the paranormal in the park. Yeah, yeah. Turns out, like, more and more teams are having per- paranormal nights. I just got invited to something down in, in Somerset, New Jersey. Um, yeah, more popular. And, you know, it kind of makes sense that teams would try to jump into that theme, too, you know, with the whole, you know, Field of Dreams thing and idea, too, you know, but... I- I'm sure talking to a lot of players, you probably found this to be the case too. But in my experience with with baseball players, I find a lot of them actually hate that movie. A lot of people, do, a lot of players don't like Field of Dreams. If you ask them about you know what they like for movies, they prefer Bull Durham, and they just think that Field of Dreams is just a little bit too much cheese. Is that is that what you encountered, or was it the opposite? <laughs> I don't know. I really really didn't pose that question, but I. I... You know, I, I can definitely see that perspective. I mean, you know, it's, you know, that's more of a, a fans movie than, you know, a ball yeah. player's movie. And even some fans, you know, baseball is like one of the great things about baseball is you can like it for a million different reasons. And, you know, whether it's the numbers or the, you know, the human stories behind it and, and or, or the ghost stories. And, and you know, <laughs> so, you know, certainly, you know, some people aren't, Kind of into, into the history as, as others, and you know, some just love the, the the home run, you know. So, well, one one player told me that uh, he can't believe that Kevin Costner has been able to make three baseball movies in his in his career. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, I, there might be just a, a bias against Kevin Costner in general. Yeah, what you call for the love of the game a baseball movie? <laughs> kind of. That that might have been overly sentimental, but. Well, so uh, uh, I, I mean. At least there's plenty more stories coming out of these players, and and there's another book coming, and I'm sure there'll be even more stories uh, following that. So I mean, it definitely seems like you've tapped into something here, and that and that for people who are baseball nuts and may not believe in the paranormal, it's a great book, and it's a it's a great experience to learn more about the history of the game. And for those who don't care about the game but are into the paranormal, it, it's the perfect allegory for everything that we talk about here because. Like you said, it's such a superstitious sport. It's been around for so long, and it's so ingrained in the consciousness that there's bound to be stories. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, yeah, it's definitely, you know, we really strove to kind of, on both of those angles, you know, Mickey and I are both passionate baseball fans, and, you know, and we love to, you know, learn about these stories and that aspect of the game, too, and kind of, you know, really... You know, it's just amazing to to hear. You know, we were surprised when we, you know, set out to this book. We didn't really know what we were going to find at all. Whether you know we would be just kind of, you know, laughed at and kind of, you know, mocked in the clubhouse, or or whether players would, you know, open up about these kind of stories. And yeah, it I mean, turns out. Has yeah. anybody outright just like refused to talk to you at all, or has anybody said, "Oh, those are the haunted baseball guys. I'm not interested in talking to you." Uh. A couple of players, yeah. Yeah, I mean, sometimes, but but it's it's very very rare. Um, I was going to say those are the guys that have had a profound experience and they're just not ready to share it yet. Well, like Big Poppy, um, you know, he's he's never been rude. He's always been really nice and accommodating, but but he doesn't like to talk about it, you know. And he'll kind of just say like, I I don't, you know, I don't feel comfortable about that, or you know. So I mean, some players get you know spooked, you know, especially you know some of the. Some of the Latin players get spooked. I was going to say that might you know, be kind of cultural, you know. Yeah. It's kind of something that they're they're they think it's bad luck to talk about. Yeah, yeah, and, and you know, and like Jeff Kent, I remember we were in the Dodgers clubhouse. I remember him saying that, you know, it's not really, you know, wouldn't be 
real superstition if I opened up and started talking about it. You know, some players just don't want to, you know, give away their, their secrets or kind of, you know, you know, they might <laughs> it might reverse their karma, you know. So. Exactly. Well, Dan, we thank you for joining uh, joining us tonight and, and taping this interview with us. We look forward to meeting you in person uh, finally. We'll get the chance yeah, to meet you face-to-face on Friday night. Uh, yeah, you're right, yeah. yeah. I mean, I've met Matt, you know, which is great, but, I have, yeah, it would be great to, to meet you too, Tim. And, yeah, thank you for, you know, for having me on again. And, and I leave you with this. I have one paranormal case in baseball that I definitely need you to investigate for me. Okay, I, sure. I need you to figure out what's going on with all these J.D. Drew phantom injuries. <laughs> I think it's old age. But... <laughs> all right. Thank you very much, Dan, and uh, we will see you Friday, and we'll talk to you soon. Okay. Thanks, thanks again. Okay, Bye-bye. Take care. All right. That was our interview with Dan Gordon, uh, recorded earlier tonight. He's the co-author of Haunted Baseball, along with Mickey Bradley, and he will be at Paranormal Night Friday, this Friday, August 28th, the Brockton Rocks are celebrating all things supernatural on Paranormal Night. Brian Harnwa from Ghost Hunters and Ghost Hunters International will be there. He'll be investigating, leading an investigation of the ballpark, Campanelli Stadium, after the game. You'll also get a free copy of Taps Power Magazine on your way into the park. And Dan will be there to sign his uh, sign your copy of Haunted Baseball, Ghost Curses, Legends, and Eerie Events. And, of course, they're going to have fireworks because it's a Friday night and they always have fireworks. And the first 1,000 fans through the gates to see the Rocks face the Worcester Tornadoes will receive a psychic baseball to help them predict the game. And, of course, Bay State Paranormal Center, our friends there, Elizabeth and the gang, they're the ones that help bring this all together along with the Brockton Rocks. Rocksgroups.com, R-O-X-groups.com, and enter the password GHOST to purchase tickets to the investigation and to purchase tickets to the game, BrocktonRocks.com, 508-559-7000. And also you can be the fourth caller right now and you will receive a family four-pack of tickets to go to Campanelli Stadium to uh, take part in the game and the investigation. The fourth caller at 508-996-0500, 508-291-0500. Caller number four, you will win four tickets to Paranormal Night at the Rocks, and we'll have three more pair, three more sets, uh, three more family four-packs to give away coming up in the next hour as well. We're going to have the return of the week in Weird, by the way. It's been a while. But uh, we've got some weird stories to share with you. We'll do that and more uh, right here on the program. And just a little bit of a note, we don't have Spooky TV running this week. Uh, It won't be running next week either, I don't think, because of the nature of the show being on site with an investigation. But we may be able to get it up and running, so stay tuned. But uh, just check out the Twitter feed, twitter.com slash SC. That's where you can find out everything that's going on with Spooky South Coast, as well as our website, SpookySouthCoast.com. All right, I think I've said Spooky South Coast enough, but I'll say it one more time. We'll be right back after the news here on Spooky South Coast. Do you know what that music means? Ooh, we're stuck in an elevator? No! <laughs> Wrong! Spooky South Coast is back. I'm not afraid.
right, welcome back. Hour number two of Spooky South Coast. Tim Weisberg here, along with the silent assassin, Matt Costa, and science advisor, Matt Moniz. And congratulations to Mark. He was the big winner of the first of four family four-packs of tickets to the Brockton Rocks and Paranormal Night this Friday night. And, uh, Mark, we look forward to meeting you there. I know that, uh, Matt, you said you've had a chance to meet him, but... Yeah, nice guy. But uh, it'll be my first chance, so uh, hopefully he'll find me while we're there and say hello. And uh, anybody that's a fan of the program, please make sure that you find us. I know we're going to be hanging out there with everything going on, and I don't know if we're going to be sitting down necessarily because there'll be a lot of stuff to do. But, you know, we'll be wearing our spooky South Coast shirts and hats, and you'll be able to find us pretty easily. Plus, uh, I'm kind of loud and obnoxious, so I should be easy to pick out. Although... I'll be the not so. I'll be the other loud and obnoxious guy because Brian's going to be there too. So. Okay, thank you for you saying it. <laughs> I mean that in a good way. Well, last week I was cracking on him about uh, if they were going to have him throw at the first pitch. So uh, I, I don't know if that's going to be the plan, but uh, I said to Elizabeth, I said I'll just make sure I'm standing as far away from home plate as possible if that's the case. And then I said, no, wait, home plate's probably the safest place to be. So. <laughs> I have no idea if you can throw a baseball. I just wanted to. Tease him a little bit. Rasmus. I know he's a big baseball fan. I'm sure. I, he, I, you know, and I'm sure he's loving the idea of having paranormal night at the ballpark. And you know, and, and Dan said other ballparks are getting into the mix. So you know, maybe uh, he'll get the uh, Paw Sox on board. You know, have a little bit shorter ride, and we we'll maybe someday we'll have paranormal night at Fenway Park too. Who knows? Yeah, you know my views on professional sports and especially baseball. But yeah. I would, I really would like to check out. You know, Fenway Park. You know, I was kind of working on something there, and it kind of fell by the wayside. But that's because uh, Dr. Charles Steinberg left the Red Sox, and he was a guy who just basically loved any kind of spotlight he could get on the team and on Fenway Park. And he was all for every idea that would get them on any kind of TV show. And, uh, I mean, that's how we got the uh, Red Sox episode of Queer Eye for the Straight Guy or whatever it was called. And that's because... You were uh, responsible for that? Oh, I wasn't, Dr. Charles Steinberg. Oh, okay. <laughs> so... Anyway, we'll give away more tickets to uh, the Brockton Rocks and Paranormal Night coming up later on in the program. But uh, in just a minute, we're going to do something that we haven't done in quite a while. No, I'm not talking about taking off our clothes and running around the studio naked. We do that every week. But uh, you don't get to see it because we turn off Spooky TV before that. And uh, to let Sean know, he's a, a, a very, very loyal and faithful listener. And I, I feel bad because uh, he missed the program last week because we were on early before the Red Sox game. And, of course, tonight we're not running the Spooky TV feed uh, because basically we're running a pre-recorded interview, and we just thought people didn't want to sit here and watch us sitting around listening to a pre-recorded interview. But we'll have Spooky TV up and, and running. And eating. And eating, yeah. <laughs> Thank you, Double Nines. We can't say the name of the restaurant, so we'll say Double Nines. Uh, but uh, we will have it back up and running probably next week. Well, if they can spot us the bandwidth at the club. Uh, and we can get it running at the same time without slowing down all of our other stuff that we have to be doing for broadcasting purposes. I mean, I, I think it'll be interesting to have the camera running while we're there. I think we can pull that off. I do. It's a, it is a dual core processor, so maybe we can uh, get away with being able to do all that stuff at once. Well, we might even be able to get a LAN. Well, well, it's not so much the uh, the the internet I'm worried about as much as it is the processing power of the computer. Ah. Okay. So we'll we'll mess around with it. We'll see what can happen. And uh, if we can make it happen, we will. Because it, it would be cool to be broadcasting from a, a haunted location and having people watching the feed and letting us know if they see anything happening in the background. Of course, there is a live chat going on in, on the Spooky TV page. So people will be able to uh, actually 
view that and share with other people. It's it's almost like when you watch that live episode of Ghost Hunters every year where we kind of need your eyes to let us know what's going on behind us. Mm. It'll be a lot of fun. I'm really looking forward to the show. Again, thanks to Eric and Dart for inviting us to be a part of it and for allowing us to invite some of our friends along who uh, hopefully will add to the uh, investigation. Well, I know we'll add to the investigation, but hopefully we'll you know, network with Dart and all the other teams that are there and we'll help you know, bring that community together, which is what we try to do here. And uh, I, I'm just excited because I know it's going to be a fun night. It's a great place. It's a huge place. Big place. Yeah. Not only is it a huge place, you know, to to investigate and to check out, but it's just a huge place to, to hang out and try to figure out where we're going to broadcast from, <laughs> you know, because they're going to have live music downstairs, so we kind of got to be away from that. So it's going to be a lot of fun, and, and we'll make sure that we make it happen in the best way possible for all of you. And, Matt Costa, we're sorry that you have to be back here in the studio and you can't join in the fun. That's right. Because there's beer there. <laughs> oh, you guys. Just shaking his head and salivating at the prospect. All right. Well, it's been a while. It's been a couple of weeks. So why don't we get a little weird? More bad news. Well, I got a great show for you today with some wonderful weird stuff. I feel, I feel so very weird. The Week in Weird. Alright, our first story is from the Intrepid Reporting at NBC2.com in Florida. Now this is a case of where there's a report. We talked a little bit about a UFO report earlier in the show, top of the show. And this is an example of where there was a report made, the media picked up on it, an investigator stepped in and was able to kind of reduce the whole thing to being a hoax. And here's an example where it wasn't the media that was shaping the story, but they actually let it happen organically. They let an investigation happen, and then they reported on the results of that investigation. It still turned out to be kind of a wacky story. This is uh, in Northport, Florida, and this is uh, the original story now. Family members are scared to go outside at night because of what they say is lurking in the woods. They claim more than five alien encounters in the last four months have taken place. Now an international UFO organization wants to crack the real-life X-Files. Michael Rowley and his son Shane moved to their Northport home in April. Uh, Michael's retired and thought that that's where he was supposed to go. He says the only bad part is the aliens around here. 16-year-old Shane said that he had several extraterrestrial encounters, most of which have been through his bedroom window. They kind of show up when they want, he said. You get used to them, but it is weird to see them walking around the woods with those big eyes. I haven't seen the wings, but we know that he flies, his father added. The Rowley's Twilight story has caught the attention of the Mutual UFO Network, or MUFON. The group is investigating and wants to set up surveillance, but Michael believes they won't show up if cameras are around. He does say that he has the plaster cast of a footprint as his key evidence. While it may be hard to see, Michael believes the creature has a cloven hoof. It's about this big, he says, which always translates well in a story, with pure deep red eyes. It just looked at me for a second, Michael said. He admits to rarely going out at night, but says he believes they come in peace and that they're here for a reason. I'm a combat Vietnam vet, and I don't wake up until something good is going on, he said. This is something big and good going on. The family expects another alien encounter during the next full moon. <laughs> this is getting weirder as I go along. And the neighbor, I showed him a sample of the footprint, and he goes, Nah, no one believes me, he said. To the skeptical, Michael says he just come to his house for a visit. He says he didn't believe it first. So there's the original story. The story comes out of this... Cloven hoofs, got a footprint. No, it's it. Sounds like the Jersey Devil. 
Yeah, I mean, but it's definitely enough to draw people's interest. It's not your run-of-the-mill E.T. story. But uh, here's the follow-up story. The Northport man who claims his home is being visited by aliens has been exposed as a fraud. The paranormal investigator looking into his case says that the homeowner made the whole thing up to make a quick buck. Mike Rowley's story hasn't changed. He says these are reptilians that are gung-ho travelers from outer space. But paranormal investigator Eric Patterson says he isn't buying it. This is definitely a hoax, definitely a hoax, said Patterson. He says Rowley's alien encounter claims are far-fetched, and when it comes to the so-called cast of an alien footprint Rowley showed the news organization a few weeks ago, Patterson said, nice try. Basically, it looks like a gopher hole. But Rowley is convinced he has something unique. And here's a little exchange between Rowley and the reporter. Rowley, I have the only devil's footprint in the world. Reporter Kevin Ozebeck. Patterson says that's a gopher hole. Rowley, so what? I don't give a flip. Patterson says his investigation didn't reveal extraterrestrials, just a scheme to make some extra cash. Rowley is now selling $22 alien t-shirts on his website and said he is also trying to sell the plaster cast he made as a supposed footprint to the highest bidder. He hopes to bring in $1 million. Uh, Ozebeck said, are you making this up for money? Rowley said, no, I'm not making this up for money. Ozebeck said, are you exaggerating this for money? Rowley says, no, I'm not making this up for money, but I don't mind making some money. Rowley says he'll soon be leaving Northport and his home is up for sale. He says he's moving to Alaska because the aliens don't like the cold. What about this new movie coming out about Nome, Alaska and abductions? Really? It's What's actually it? based on a true story. What's it called? I don't know if we can talk about Can we? Sure. So it's a movie coming out, right? Yeah. Hollywood movie? Documentary? Yeah. Well, no, it's Hollywood Eyes, but based on accounts. Can't remember the name of it. I just saw the trailer, but it is coming out. Is it called "We're Not a Gnome"? No. I mean, alone. No. Hey, it's the best I can do on short notice. No more weather hard Oh, there's no planet like no. <laughs> Mac Costa, what no do you have? Place like no. no place like no. <laughs> a man today admitted beating himself, beating beating himself up with a boulder to get the day off of work. Thank you for ha- pausing the first time you said that. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. Steve Reed, 23, of Aberdeen, Scotland, claimed he was assaulted on his way on his way to his job. But later, uh, not that job. Uh, but it later emerged, he told his friend that he faked the attack because he couldn't he couldn't be bothered, bothered to go to work and water the day off. After previously admitting wasting police time, Aberdeen Sheriff Court heard Reed injured himself by repeatedly dragging a razor down his face and beating himself on the head and body with a boulder. Sheriff uh, Buchanan, something Buchanan, Graeme, Sheriff Buford, Graeme, Buford T. Justice, described it as a bizarre case. Following the incident, Reed went to the police station and said he had been assaulted by two male persons who repeatedly punched and kicked him. During the follow, follow-up questions, Reed admitted faking the assault, but claimed he did not think police would bother investigating it. Reed's, Reed's solicitor attributed his bizarre behavior to stre- work stress brought on by home life. Oh, lack thereof. <laughs> uh, Reed was fined $100 and is now unemployed, believe it or not. <laughs> well. That was from stv.tv. I have to say, for those who aren't 
you know, well, we don't have Spooky TV running, but for those who normally don't watch Spooky TV, you don't realize it. I always take a drink of water after reading my story while Matt Costa starts his, and it never fails. He always has something that makes me do a spit take. <laughs> so this guy wanted to just basically stay home and get stoned? Uh, no. What, what are you doing? <laughs> I'm kicking my ass. <laughs> I've said ass an awful lot on the program tonight. All right, Matt Moniz, what do you have for us? Let me let me ask you, what do you have for us? All right, I got something from NBCLosAngeles.com. For those of you who have ever dreamt of nuzzling up with Marilyn Monroe, it looks like it's not too late. The crypt directly above Marilyn Monroe's at Pierce Brothers Westwood Village Memorial Park in Los Angeles is being auctioned on eBay at price somewhat higher than your average watch, vase, or camera. The current bid is more than $4.5 million. The seller, Elsie Poncher, is the widow of the late husband who bought the crypt from Joe DiMaggio during his 1954 divorce from Marilyn Monroe. Miss Poncher is moving her husband, who has been buried face down above Marilyn since 1986? A deathbed request. He, he was buried. My hats off style. to you, buddy. My hats off to you, buddy. And selling the crypt to pay off the one million more one million dollar mortgage on her Beverly Hills home. Looks like she'll have a little cash left over. <laughs> the perks of ownership <laughs> include steady flow of visitors, many of whom leave flowers and plant bright red lipstick kisses on Marilyn's nameplate, plus a neighborhood full of Hollywood heavyweights. Uh, Westwood Village Memorial Park is also the resting place of Dean Martin, Jack Lemon, Natalie Wood, and most recently, Farrah Falls. Buried in the missionary pool. That's awesome. <laughs> That's, I like it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I figured you would, but uh, I, I don't really know where to go from there. So I'll just say that uh, our, our friend Mark uh, emailed in, and he wants to know if that movie that you were talking about, if it's called Whiteout. Is that the movie that you're discussing? I do not think so. Okay. Well, we'll find out more. Uh, the girl that Mar- uh, Maria uh, Popper, and it's not, she played in uh, Fifth Element. I can't remember. Mia Jovovich? Yeah. She is actually the lead character. She plays the psychiatrist. That oh, that's just Resident Evil. That's not a that's not a real ghost story. No, this is about abductions. I know. Yeah. Fourth, fourth Kind. That's the fourth name. Kind? Yeah. Okay. Fourth Kind? Yeah. Okay. And uh, actually, in Paranormal, uh, Paranormal Activity, which is another movie that's supposed to be coming out, I recently read that uh, a good review of that on Examiner.com, which has a lot of paranormal news. But uh, they basically said it should be the Exorcist for the new generation. It just it looks like it might not get distributed until 2010. So it's kind of like a Blair Witch Project approach uh, okay. done with home surveillance equipment investigating a supposed haunting. It, it sounds really cool. So hopefully that comes out soon as well. All right. Well, we're going to take a break. While we're in that break, if you would like to win some tickets, a family four-pack of tickets to Paranormal Night at the Brockton Rocks this Friday night, all you have to do is be the fourth caller at 508-996-0500, 508-291-0500 as well. Uh, or you can even email us. Uh, the next email that we get to, uh, you can win as well. So if you want to go to Paranormal Night, meet Brian Harnwa, investigate Campanelli Stadium, that's the way to do it. So uh, just, uh, I don't know, $20 value? Is that? Yeah, I mean, come on. 
How much is it going to cost you to take the family out to Paranormal Night? You're getting free tickets. What's a hot dog going to cost you? A couple bucks? Cokes, a couple bucks? You can't beat it. Summer's almost over. And, you know, we're helping you. We're putting you halfway there by giving you the tickets. So 508-996-0500, 508-291-0500. We'll be right back with more here on Spooky South Coast. Turn on all your lights, lock the doors, and pull down the shades. Spooky South Coast is back. All right, welcome back to Spooky South Coast. Tim Weisberg here, along with the silent assassin, Matt Costa, science advisor, Matt Moniz. And we still have a family four-pack of tickets to give away to the Brockton Rocks. 508-996-0500, 508-291-0500, or email us, crew at SpookySouthCoast.com. Now, Matt Moniz, you weren't here last week. You were out in the field and, yep. and investigating, as you as you do frequently. Uh, but Matt Costa and myself did discuss the topic of has the paranormal become normal? Uh, because we find that, and it happened to me again this week since we've done the program, um, I had the opportunity to, uh, you know, for my job, I attend Patriots games, and I went up with a, a writer from another newspaper Yep. Uh, who was doing some work for my paper, and um, we discussed family, the Patriots. We discussed everything in the world, music. Uh, he's a big music fan. We discussed all this stuff on the way up to the game. On the way home, I might have made one brief mention of the paranormal uh, about something, other, you know, in passing, and it just opened up the discussion. And for the rest of the night, all we talked about was the paranormal. And it just seems like that's becoming more and more the case. Obviously, Matt Costa and myself are just a couple of schmoes out there, you know, talking out of our ass most of the time. But you've been doing this for a long time. People know that you do this. And are you finding that people are coming up to you and wanting to talk about the paranormal with you a lot more often than they may have in the past? Yes. Wholeheartedly, yes. And it's, uh, believe it or not, a majority of from people that I would never have suspected would want to talk to me about it. And, you know, being a... Being a scientist, of course, you know, it's one of the taboo subjects that's not touched. And um, one of the main reasons is, uh, you know, science in its early infancy trying to wrestle, you know, uh, the, the minds out of people, you know, from the church over to, you know, rational thinking and stuff like that. They, they took a lot of the stuff and they just, you know, tossed it under the rug. Oh, we'll get back to that. We'll prove to you later that, the, you know, this is right now all of this other stuff you're believing is all nonsense and some of the stuff they they couldn't readily answer they just like i said stuffed it under the rug and left it there and it became uh shall we say in bad form if you were a scientist to talk about it even though most of the people when they went to go look to see if you know the stuff is really not not what they say they found that you know nobody actually did the work to <laughs> prove it uh, prove it's not right but anyway um these people staunch hardcore you know people will come up to me in confidence and sometimes even in front of other w- workers and so like you know i had this a- occurrence at my aunt's house when i was 12 years old and i've never told anybody this and or, you know and i'm getting this more and more often I mean, people talking about their 
ghost encounters or UFO encounters and some cases cryptid encounters. And, and is it a matter of, you know, when they tell you this, is they, do they still start off by saying, I don't really believe in this stuff, but... Or is it kind of like, oh, well, this opened my eyes, and I think maybe there is something to this. It's more that it's like, I know we're not supposed to be talking about this, and this is not supposed to happen. Not saying I don't believe it, because when you're dealing, when they're talking about with their own personal dealings, just like you have had your personal encounters, I've had mine. This is why I do this. I know it's not nothing. I know it's not, you know, the same thing with them. I can't, I can no longer say, it's nothing because I've now had something to equate this with. I mean, a lot of the people that you come in contact with are scientists like yourself, and you would think that they'd want to acquire as much data as they can. But the stigma is still attached. That's why. And that's the problem. If that, if that can be overcame, I mean, can, I could just imagine so many of them would love to accompany you on an investigation and see this stuff firsthand, experience this stuff firsthand, but they're afraid of the repercussions of what would happen if, if somebody found out that they went with you. It's actually one of the true, you know, frontier sciences that's still left untouched, quite literally. has been untouched basically for almost 200 years since the age of enlightenment, supposedly. But, <laughs> but that's what I mean. Uh, it, the reason why it really hasn't gotten any further you know, advancement from science is because you can't make money on it. If you, you know, like I've written in things before, I mean, you stand better chances of, you know, getting grants to study mouse farts than you do studying a ghost. And it's serious because, you know, rodent detection business is, you know, billion-dollar industries, you know, and things like that. So. But are we seeing, I mean, maybe it's because of uh, the fact that it's not such a, a high-money field yet, but maybe there will be more uh, attention paid to it now that they realize that ghost detection equipment could be a way to make money. It could be a backdoor into this as, as a way to make money. But that that would only be a materials type of marketing. You're looking so, for people that are going to get grant money. To, right, yeah, yeah. to, to study, study it for the sake of science. Science for the sake of science, not science for the sake of the Dollars so what you're saying is they don't want to work to make money. They want to kind of just get that grant money so they can, you know, work True. at their own pace kind of thing. Yeah, if you want to put it that way. Oh, I mean, I, I understand the system and the way that it works in the science field, and it's obviously been very successful over the years, but there also are the scientists throughout history who weren't government-funded who made a lot of important discoveries. I'm pretty sure Magellan and Copernicus and... You know, uh, Galileo and all these people weren't really government-funded for a lot of the work that they found. Yeah, and some of them, in some cases, were government-jailed for doing it. But now we've reached the point where you, unless you have that grant money, unless you have a government organization, a university, uh, some sort of pharmaceutical company, unless you have one of these, quote-unquote, institutions behind you, then your work is not viewed as viable in the scientific community. Do you find that that's the case, not just in the paranormal, but in a lot of things? Is the guy who's at home trying to cure cancer, is he kind of looked down upon within the scientific community as opposed to people that are maybe researching at Dana-Farber? Yeah. And as far as I'm concerned, the guy at home, you know, and has a better chance. Because, when they, you know, I've been working in this type of industry for 20-something years now. And I've seen that once you start getting into these bigger organizations and conglomerations, there's far more restrictions and rules applied to it. Most of it 
you know, applied by bean counters, not by scientists, and mm-hmm. how things are spent. I mean, th- there we could have better medication and, and treatments for certain diseases if you took parts of the regulations out of the industry as well as, you know, the accountants out of the equation. I mean, if as a scientist, I would love to be able to, especially I'm working in a pharmaceutical uh, company at the moment, and when you're working with old chip beakers to try and do in doing your test because you, you, our budget's not allowing us to order more stuff to you know to do the testing but you know you got all of this money being funded into the marketing of this and that you mm-hmm. know and and paying for the uh the reviews quote unquote by by other um governing agencies and separate entities that put the Okay, seal stamp of approval on this and that. That's I, you know. That, I mean, that's one of the one of the uh, criticisms that you hear, at least from the public sector, is they'll say, you know, cancer will be cured when the companies that make the cancer treatment drugs are the ones that discover the cure. When they're when the ones who have the most to gain out of the fact that it's still around are the ones that can be the ones that gain the most out of eradicating it. You know, like. Raid doesn't want you to kill all the bugs in your house. They just want to make it appear that you killed all the bugs in your house until they come back, and then you go out and buy another can of Raid because it worked so well the last time. Just like, you know, Detroit can build a car that, you know, can run 150 miles on a gallon of gas. Yeah, well, how come the government ti- government cars have 50-year tires and yeah. mine only last two? Yeah, well, th- there you go. It's just I, I can say this... I'm about to give out some stuff that I'm sure people already suspected, but it is true. They have cures for things like the common cold. The mm-hmm. common cold cure has actually been around for 25, 30 years. The reason why they don't put it out is because there's people spend something like a couple of billion dollars a year on cold medications treating the symptoms of the cold rather than curing it or mm-hmm. you know and and the the ironic thing about it is for the most part if left untreated a cold is nothing it's only when you treat it and you don't allow it to run its natural course that you become more susceptible to the symptoms of it correct so if we actually just didn't even bother trying to cure or treat it and just let it happen we'd build up a much better immunity to it you're actually hitting the nail right on the head medication is fine in limited quantities for certain specific things we become you know over way over medicated in this country and in the world don't get me wrong certain medications are very viable and do serve a very uh good purpose but here's an another interesting little fact in order to get a drug out on the market takes from start to finish about five years but all it takes is to be able to positively affect your test population, one percent better, you know, and and, and, <laughs> and it's considered really a, safe and effective. Yeah, that's not really a good sample size for something that you're touting as being treatment for a situation. And you know, some things I think don't maybe necessarily have to be treated. You know, I mean, I guess there's a reason why you know when uh, when the, the the pipes stop hardening. Yeah. You know, there's maybe a reason why that happens. Uh, maybe it's the natural course of things. And if you're taking artificial pipe hardener, 
then uh, <laughs> maybe you're not doing. I helped work on that. <laughs> well, from from all accounts, from people that I know that use it, they'd say, "Good job, thank you." <laughs> you know, but uh, there's a lot of housewives oh. everywhere that are like, "Jesus, why?" Yeah. <laughs> well, why don't we take a break? When we come back, we'll talk a little bit more about has the paranormal become more normal? And you can also chime in with your thoughts as well. Five zero eight nine nine six. 0500-508-291-0500. What would it take for you to just stop a stranger on the street and stop talking about the paranormal? Let us know. We'll be right back with more here on Spooky South Coast. Welcome back to Spooky South Coast. Tim Weisberg here, along with the silent assassin, Matt Costa, science advisor, Matt Moniz. And actually, having been in the studio with us all night is a local writer, a local reporter, Bob Ekstrom, who is here to do a piece for South Coast Insider Magazine. That's correct. He's kind of checking out the show because he's working on something about the paranormal uh, for the October issue. That's right. And what's the what's the theme of your piece that you're working on, if you don't mind divulging it? No, not at all. It's for our October issue. We like to be somewhat seasonal. And uh, this year I thought it would be kind of fun to explore some of the stories around the South Coast, uh, preferably ones that are based on folklore or real beliefs, not fiction, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's funny because we were just talking before we were on the air about having first met, and it was about a year and a half ago. And uh, and I'm on that I think I'm on that uh, plane where I'm not quite a believer yet because nothing has happened to me. But we were at a table uh, for a function locally, and it was a bunch of sports writers. And yet we all found out about your interest in the paranormal, and that was the topic of conversation all night long. And I remembered some fascinating stories that you told, and uh, I kind of put that away for a while. And when the publisher wants to do something seasonal this year on Halloween and, and the haunted South Coast, I thought of you and uh, approached you and. Uh, here we are. You know, and I have to ask you this, and I want an objective answer here. Do I, like, force it down people's throat, or does it just happen organic? Because it happens a lot, and I'm starting to wonder if I say something that makes people, like, decide. Do I, like, find a little subtle way of bringing it up, or does it just seem to happen? I think we pulled it out of you that night. Uh, there was a, a, another writer from a, a, a local publication, and somehow he picked your brain and found out that you're you were interested, and I jumped right in. I mean, you didn't you didn't force anything right, down. As long as I'm not cramming down anybody's throat. <laughs> no, not at all. Not at all. It's, the, the it's food, fascinating. The food that night was delicious, so I would hate to think that you know you're eating this fine meal and then getting you know my story shoved down your throat. But actually, we have a call here. Why don't we take this for a second, just in case somebody wants to chime in? Good evening. You're on Spooky South Coast. How you doing? Hey, how you doing, guys? Oh, we're spooktacular. How about yourself? That's good. It's me, Luann. Oh, and we know that voice. 
<laughs> you I, ought to know it by now. Before I ask your opinion about the paranormal becoming more normal, I, I want to find out a little bit more about this uh, UFO encounter that you had that you reported on SpookySouthCoast.com. Um, it was not the weekend of the Cape Verdean Festival. Okay. It was the weekend after. I was actually up there both weekends. Okay. And so, so have you done any follow-up? Have you been able to find anything out? Um, I don't really know anyone out there. I would probably have to have, like, my son do a follow-up for me out there. But there weren't really a lot you know of us. people <laughs> where we were. You guys know a lot of people out there, I'm sure. We live there. Um, but um, the, the other side of the beach was more was more crowded. I'm not even sure what you call that location. I'm going to have to ask my son. We we fish there quite often. Um, if I put pictures up, you would probably recognize oh, it. So right away, would. there's there's some buildings there that are pretty uh, unique. I think you'd recognize the big yellow one. And and maybe next time you're out there fishing, you can give us a call, and and one of us can come down. And you can kind of walk us through it. Yeah, that's an idea. Now you know what Onset used to be though back in the uh, the late 1800s, right? No, what was it? It was a spiritualist community. Mm-hmm. It was. Yeah, they actually that there's a, still a spiritualist campground there. It's all real houses now, but it's called the spiritualist campground, and yeah. uh, there and there's the Onset wigwam which was actually built by the spiritualists, I guess, to, to honor the Native Americans and their beliefs. But uh, the whole area was uh, supposedly very psychically charged. Wow. So maybe it's some sort of gateway. Maybe it's some sort of uh, vortex. Gateway. That's interesting. Uh, gateway, wareham. Ha, ha, ha. Put that on a T-shirt. <laughs> well, we'll definitely follow up more and find out more. But let me, let me get your opinion on has the paranormal become more normal? It has. And it's funny that you say that because, I mean, people speak so much more freely about it now. I mean, you know, looking back 20, 30 years ago, it was taboo to speak of things like that. I mean, I kept a secret for a long time because it was so taboo. And now, you know, if if I happen to mention that I'm a ghost, you know, investigator or, or ghost hunter or you know, however people want to look at it. Um, I mean, people are very enthusiastic about it most times. Um, and then they start telling me their experiences usually. <laughs> well, you're an um, easy you're an easy person to talk to too. So, well, uh, you know, it's very rarely that I meet with skepticism nowadays. I mean, you still do. It seems like there's people who are like professional skeptics I call them they just I think they want to be on that side of the fence and you could have a ghost in a can and open it up for them and show them the ghost and they still would want to be a a professional skeptic but most people do seem to have opened up a lot more to that well professional skeptics are (laughs) technically called a cynic (laughs) and they get magazine publishing deals and radio appearances and everything out of it. So they're not going to change their mind, you know, when they've already created their niche market. Wow. Maybe I, th- I should become one. Are they making money? Yeah, but it goes against your belief system. <laughs> That's Actually, true. in the paranormal, the skeptics are the only ones that ask for money. That's true. I think true. I was along that line. Uh, I was a skeptic at one time, and, and now to take it beyond what Matt had said, I'm, I more than tolerate. Uh, I, I think that uh, I, I just see so many people with real experiences, and I've never had one. 
uh, I just I know that they believe what they see, and I just I'm a big fan of mysteries, big fan of intrigue, and that's what the paranormal has attracted me to. I mean, we talked when we first met, and you told me some stories about Lizzie Borden's house, and you know, it's just a murder to me that is still somewhat unsolved in my mind. Um, but the activity that you've seen in that house is, was, was very fascinating to me. And the person on the phone is somebody who was there experiencing it firsthand with us. Uh, <laughs> some of the uh, audio clips I was talking about, she's actually the one that captured them on audio. So, I mean, she definitely knows uh, <laughs> that I'm not faking it when it comes to that stuff. She can, she can vouch for me. But that's the other thing, too, though, especially, Bob, from your perspective of, of tracking down these stories as a reporter. I mean – Obviously, you've decided that you can trust what I'm saying for whatever reason, you know, but it, you have to listen to the people and you have to decide for yourself if they're genuine and you don't have the benefit of, like, say, Matt Moniz, who will actually go in there, investigate, do a psychological profile of the person, find out what kind of medications they're on. You know, you don't have that kind of benefit. You're kind of just taking people at their word. And I guess being a reporter, you have to be objective about it. But uh, are you still going to, when you hear these stories, are you still going to think first, you know? crazy no not anymore uh, like I said it's beyond tolerating now I I, uh, I I honestly believe that the people conveying the stories to me totally believe their experiences and may in fact have had them uh, there's just so many things that are unsolved these days and what I'm trying to do with the readers is, is to sort of tease them a bit on this whole subject themselves we have a 30,000 circulation and and maybe 300 or maybe 3,000 people will actually believe but I want to get 27,000 other people to think Hey, this sounds kind of interesting. I'd like to look at it. Maybe I can catch a séance or, mm -hmm. or uh, you know, visit the Millicent Library or something along those lines, where you know some of the the renowned stories come from. And they don't realize how easy it is to touch the paranormal in this neck of the woods. I mean, for people who, you know, a lot, of, uh, we're starting to reach the point where people say, "Oh, I've heard of that show, but I've never really listened to it." And then they'll say, "But have you ever heard of the Bridgewater Triangle?" Well, yeah, we've done about forty-five episodes of the show about it, but. You know, it is something that's starting to, to reach into people's consciousness, even if they're not paying attention to the paranormal community. So when this stuff is being talked about and heard about and referenced in other publications besides the paranormal publications, you're getting people that are maybe on that fringe interest level to take that plunge and say, okay, I don't really believe, but I haven't had an experience like yourself. And, you know, maybe then they can have that experience right in their own backyard and be able to, to I mean, you want to come with us sometime and 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 see if uh, you can have an experience because we can almost guarantee it at this point. <laughs> I think the personal curiosity would would make me say yes. I mean, my deadline for this particular story will happen way before that that opportunity comes up, but uh, that'll be a real test to how far I've come if I can take you up on that offer. Oh, absolutely. And uh, Moniz, when it comes to Lizzie Borden, you know you. Uh... Yeah, you can come hanging with me some night. If you don't mind having pictures thrown at your head and yeah. babies crying in your ear and everything else that happens there, but, and uh, but it just seems like well, he won't get hurt. Uh, you know, the only person that really gets beat up in that place is you. Yeah, and I'll 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 take the brunt. I'm yeah. not afraid to. That's the thing. Just stand back and watch Tim get abused. Yeah. <sighs> Sometimes I guess I feel like Lizzie. You know. I'm just, uh, just not appreciated and loved enough in that house. Maybe you're her reincarnated and no, that's why they're beating let's, on you. Let's not go that far. 
<laughs> like to think I'm a little prettier. All right, well, <laughs> actually, that just about does it for tonight's show. But uh, thank you, Luann, for checking in, and, and we're going to see you uh, next Saturday night. Yeah, I can't wait. This would be a great night. It's going to be a lot of fun, and I just I love the fact that we're bringing two local groups together. And, and I know that you guys had already been in contact on your own, but we're glad to just see teams working together and, and making things better in this area. Yeah, they're a great team. This would really be a nice event. All right. Well, thank you for checking in. We'll see you then. Okay. Have a great night, guys. You too. Bye-bye. And, and Bob, thank you for coming in and, and hanging out with us. And you're welcome back anytime. And and we will definitely get you into either Lizzie or some sort of place where we know that there's activity that can hopefully show you that it is a lot more normal than, than people think it is. Well, it's my pleasure to come on board. Uh, one of the things that's fun about writing is to explore different things. Uh, I went to my first uh, auto stock car, a stock car race uh, two months ago for a story, and now here I am sitting talking to a bunch of ghost hunters. So it it's... is crazy. <laughs> Doing it myself, it is crazy some of the stuff that you get thrown into. And uh, there's some assignments that when you get them, you kind of roll your eyes, and they turn out to be some of the most fun. I mean, hell, I had to Cajun dance one time. So, and that was only for the photo opportunity. So, uh, just just for everybody to know that I do not plague the world with my Cajun dancing. No, but you do have that Zydeco CD in your current player, though. I do. I'm a I'm a fan of the music, but that doesn't mean uh, I'm going to dance to it. But all I can say is, don't mess with my toot toot. All right. That about when I start talking about my toot toot, that's the end of the program. All right, well, thank you, everybody, who uh, tuned in tonight. We'll be back next Saturday night. Whenever the Red Sox are over, we're going to be going on the air live with our paranormal investigation from a haunted location in Fall River. And we'll reveal the name of the place here when we're on the air. We just don't want to give away a lot of it because we don't want people going in there and bothering them until they've had a chance to hear the whole story. So uh, definitely join us either at 10 o'clock or whenever the Sox are over next Saturday night. Get all the updates at SpookySouthCoast.com. And join our Twitter feed at twitter.com slash spookysc. And uh, even before that, Friday night, Paranormal Night, join us at the Brockton Rocks, 7.05 p.m. at Campanelli Stadium in Brockton. Brian Harnwell will be there. Bay State Paranormal Center will be there. Dan Gordon, who uh, joined us earlier in the show, he'll be there. Get a chance to find out more about the paranormal and enjoy a baseball game. And when we go off the air, we'll give away some family four-packs of tickets to whoever calls in. 508-996-0500, 508-291-0500. And until then, we want you all to stay spooktacular. Rest assured, listener, that my time here has not been easy, and what you have just heard was not fiction. Although, in many a desperate moment, I most certainly wish it had been. It's over for now, it seems. Or at least, until yesterday begins again. Tomorrow, tomorrow. The supernatural is something.